All right, and welcome to the Sins and Nashdown podcast. I'm your host, TJ Leinemeyer. With me as always, Sean Hogan. Hi. James O'Hara. Hello. All right, we are on the eve of opening day. Um, <clears throat> the roster is set, uh, particularly as lackluster as it might be. Um, and we're ready to go. So thoughts on the roster? Um, I mean, there weren't any real surprises here nobody thought Cade Cavalli was going to make it um no although Jonah Don did make it he was mm. a little surprising not quite at the level of Cade Cavalli since he did start the last game of the season last year uh but that was kind of a uh, oops we didn't really count I, I think they had like too many games in too many in too few days or something like that and they had traded so many pitchers and had people injured and didn't want Patrick Corbin to throw again because he'd been doing badly and we're just like, yeah, screw it. Uh, Jones on, you get to start. So uh, it is a little surprising that he is now, you know, right back there. Although he had a pretty good start at the end of last year or so. And it is fifth starter. And it is mostly because guys like Strasburg and, and Joe Ross are out. Uh, other guys like, you know, Aaron Sanchez didn't get you know, time to actually get ready and, they also just because they just don't have anybody. So who knows how good he'll be, but he is there. He does exist. <laughs> That's half the battle is showing up, especially for this team. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, and I think the, the other surprise was one we talked about last time with, you know, Luis Garcia, not, I think, I think last time when we talked, it wasn't official yet. And then it was like a day or two after that, they officially sent Luis Garcia down to AAA. And then, pretty hilariously their backup Arahandra Ahire Andrianza something like that Andrianza mm-hmm. I don't know why I pronounce his first name Andrianza is easy to pronounce um, then got injured and so now they have uh, Batman's best friend played by Morgan Freeman is going to be the backup infielder which Morgan does seem a little old for the role but uh, if anybody you know, can do it at that age he can yeah I, I think more, you know, I, I think he'll look the part at least. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at this roster. I am not feeling great. Nope. We, we got some old hitters on here. We have Sean Doolittle who's back. Tyler Clippard will eventually be up here. Um, I think it, it goes without saying, if you look at the, the fan graphs, like positional power rankings out of 30 teams, the Nats are by position 19, 14, 27, 30, 30, 1, 26, 37, 28, 28, 25. Guess which one is one? <laughs> Lane Thomas. I was going to say Lucius Fox. Just that's, that's the name category, but yeah. Now, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it'll be interesting because, you know, guys like Lane Thomas, uh, projections don't really like for very good reasons uh and you know that's where that's kind of your wish hoping that he somehow keeps up what he was doing at the end of last year uh odds probably aren't super high but it's not zero uh victor Robles has probably been bad enough long enough for his projections to be pretty crappy but he has he did show in 2019 he can be you know productive enough offensively to carry his defense uh, so if he figured it out, you know, that would be a lot. He'd probably be, you know, center field would probably be a lot closer to 16-ish than 28. <laughs> um, 
you know, Kaber Ruiz. What, what were they at catcher with Ruiz and Adams? That's probably the most interesting one. They were at 19, which I thought was a little low, but I think yeah. if I remember right, the commentary on it was like basically everybody from like 10 to 20 is pretty similar. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to be, you know, they're going to be superstars, but yeah, there's another spot where you could probably see slightly better production than, than what's projected. Uh, and then it, you really run into a lot of issues with third base. Carter Keyboom is both injured and has been bad. Mikel Franco has never really been good outside of maybe one month stretch every once in a while. Uh, he was really bad last year, so not much there. You're somehow hoping, and then you're somehow hoping the Nats just middle infielder magic that has worked with Howie Kendrick and Josh Harrison and guys like that will somehow make LC and LCDs Escobar last year will somehow continue to help LCDs Escobar be good this year and also help Cesar Hernandez be good. That's probably asking for a lot. Um, so, you know, you kind of, it runs thin. There are some places where it could definitely be better than what Fangraphs is projecting, but it's still, you know, pitching staff, especially the gets very hard to project. But, you know, spots that they can do better. Well, you guys will be happy to know we just edged out not having the worst left side of our infield from second base onwards. The Orioles sit at 30, 29, We stole part. Michael Franco from them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's the saddest part is we took Michael Franco from them and he was awful for them. Uh, and they were like, well, no, he's too expensive for what we're doing, which is nothing. So, so we managed to improve their positional rankings by taking their third baseman. Perfect. Yep. <laughs> I think it'll work out. Yikes! Dang, it's just it's going to be his breakout year all of a sudden. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that that's the kind of the disappointing part is there's just still not a lot of young guys that you can project a lot onto. You have. You know, guys like Robles and I mean, Robles is still pretty young uh, for how long he's been in the majors. But, you know, guys like him and Thomas, uh, you know, Ruiz is a slightly older prospect, uh, as is Josiah Gray. I believe Josiah Gray is also late, later in his, you know, 23 or so, right? Mm-hmm. How old is Josiah Gray? 97. He is t- 24.3. You know, Eric Fetty's absurdly old. 29. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's not that many guys. Luis Garcia and Kate Cavalli are really the only very young ones who are also close to the majors right now. You could say might have some talent to do things. You know, Key Boom is and you know, barely in that, probably not really in that category anymore either. Uh, so, you know, it's really at this point, either getting lucky or waiting out Patrick Corbin's and Steven Strasburg's contracts or just deciding they're going to spend more money. So, well, and it's, it's going to have to come down to that last piece because I mean, we've, we've talked about it. It has been said plenty of different places. The Nats do not have a particularly deep farm system. Um, and I guess the disappointing part, uh, coming into the season with this roster and after the off season, 
it just doesn't look like there's a plan yet. It doesn't look like mm-hmm. any sort of step forward has been made when it comes to trying to advance the roster because we came into the year, we came into last off season or this past off season, um, basically knowing that there were like three locks on the roster and just about anything else was, eh, they could come or go. It's fine. And we're essentially looking at this roster and that's still the same case. It's, eh, we have a couple of guys that we know are going to be here. Uh, Gray's not going to go anywhere for a little bit. Kiebert Ruiz is going to be around. Uh, obviously, Strasburg is here with his deal. Um, and Soda will be here for a couple of years. But aside from that, there weren't any steps forward. Right. Right. I mean, they really just need to there. see. Oh, sorry, Sean. I said, Tardy Kibum will be there. <laughs> yeah. He'll Forever. be around in some capacity. Just like Ryan Zimmerman will be around in some capacity. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just really need some of these guys to kind of just explode. You know, look for somebody like Brady House uh, to kind of try to follow the Soto path and get up here way faster than you expected. Or some of these other guys, you know, the internationals, Andy Lara, or uh, you'll see Yasel and Tuna somehow turn things around big time. Um on um, trying to think of how you pronounce his last name. Probably did that wrong. But anyways, so you know they they really uh, that it's the same thing in the minors as it is in the majors, where it's guys who are young enough flashed a bit, but you know anybody realistically looking at it, it's like well that's not going to be that good soon. Uh, somehow you know being surprises if they can get a couple surprises, uh, then you you can fill the rest of the spots but you know you don't need that many people if you're the learners if they're willing to continue spending at the levels they were previously uh you don't need that many of your spots you're not like the rays where almost every spot needs to be filled by somebody cheap and good uh and if you don't have enough people you know if you don't have eight starters who are all pre-arb or in their first year of arbitration you gotta blow up your team like the A's did this year, uh, you know, they probably only need like four or five guys. Realistically, I think the 2019 team had like, Trey Turner, Victor Robles, Juan Soto. And that was kind of it for people who were pre-arb or early arbitration on the, in the starting nine. And then maybe, you know, a couple guys in the bullpen, but you know, there, otherwise it was mostly free agents, trades, veterans like that, that you can fill out a squad that way pretty well. Uh, they've shown they can do that. So, you know, on the negative side, it does. It's a lot of hoping and wishing, and not a lot of really. Oh, top ten prospect! This guy's going to be awesome. We know for sure. But on the plus side, the Nationals also shouldn't need that many of those guys to hit uh, to be able to put a roster together. That's fair. All right, so we've we've bemoaned the roster. So let's uh, let's move right into it. Uh, the Nats open tomorrow uh, at home against the Mets um, in what could have been at seven oh five at seven opening day night. Perfect. Um, what could have been, you know, a really 
star-studded affair, particularly on the pitching side. It could have been a Steven Strasburg, Dave, Jacob DeGrom matchup. Uh, Jacob DeGrom is or- shut down for a month. And Steven Strasburg is taking his full six weeks to get ready. So we will see him. Could have been a great Strasburg to Grom. Could have been Strasburg Scherzer. Would have been very intriguing. Very true. Uh, Get neither of those. Nope. Uh, Max Scherzer is supposedly pitching on Friday. He threw off a flat ground today. Um, But he was scratched from a start earlier this week with a hamstring issue. So who the hell knows? So instead, we get Tylor McGill. Yes. Tylor. More like Sylor McGill. You must obey. Uh, who's who's the other one uh, in their... I'm looking up their rotation right now. Taiwan Walker, who got completely dive-bombed by us, what, yesterday? Yeah, and then left with knee soreness. Um, I yeah. saw something... I'm surprised it wasn't next soreness from... They have Carlos Carrasco, but I don't know if he's actually starting the year on the team or not. Um, yeah. But they traded for him last year, and then he's been injured almost the whole time. Yeah, he's on the active roster, but like so is DeGrom. IL moves haven't been made yet. Uh, gotcha. No, it was Chris Bassett. I saw somebody say that they needed to wrap him in bubble wrap after Walker yeah. left with knee soreness yesterday. <laughs> He's not that good, though. It, just because he's the next best one doesn't mean <laughs> like you need to protect him. But if he's your one, that's <laughs> like, oh, we need to wrap Eric Fetty in bubble wrap because he might be your know, number two starter right now. It's like, I mean, if he goes out, literally anybody else will be about as good. It'll be okay. So. I mean, if, that's the sad thing is that you know, like the Mets, it's like, well, DeGrom couldn't go and their number two, Max Scherzer, couldn't go in this game. So now that we're on to like, you know, this other guy. Uh, and then the Nats are like, Oh, our number one Strasburg can go. Our number two could go, but that's still that everybody hates that. That's who's is Patrick Corbin. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, he is there. Like, they only went, you were talking about like, Oh, how far the, the Mets have gone down in the line. The Nats barely moved down the line. And it's just like, no, I don't want that. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> Anything else. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at that point, it's like, get, just get the ball to JoJo Gray and let, let's see what happens. So, I it, it, the funniest thing is that you don't even know if Patrick Corbin does do well again this season, what that even helps. Uh, unless... You know, don't think they have enough of a team or otherwise that that would launch them into close enough to contention that they'd actually make trades for players. No, the only thing that I can see being a positive about Corbin slightly digging himself out of the hole that he's been in for the last year and a half is we might be able to move that contract. Yeah, I mean, you'd think, but then on the other hand, Everybody else will have seen that last year and a half. Why would you? I, it's possible you can move like half the contract. And the other question really would be for the Nats in terms of how much of that contract are they willing to eat and also not have them on the team? Because uh, in general, it, it's not really a situation I think we've ever seen before, even last year when for all intents and purposes, they, it was the absolute best time to be eating all contracts mm-hmm. to get the maximum amount back that they could. I don't think they actually did. I'm pretty sure that everybody 
Like the only one I think maybe the Young Gums Josh Harrison trade with the A's they might have, but I don't think so. I, I'm pretty sure all the trades they had last summer they you know traded the contracts away. That's that's like not helpful. Yeah, and I mean that was that was the the knock on the Scherzer trade at that point was well if you guys had actually paid him the rest of the year you might have been able to get something a little more valuable. Right. Instead of having to attach Trey Turner to him instead. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it is funny that, you know, people talk about, Oh, they're tanking for, you know, competitive reasons. They're going to rebuild the team and say, like, okay, but they started it by not getting the best players back that they could because they refused to hold on to pay out the rest of the contracts which is just ridiculous because you had budgeted at the beginning of the season that this would be your team the whole year and that you were going to pay it out. You knew what the revenues coming in were. You knew the other expenses going out. You knew you could afford this. So, you know, if you, you this is just to make more money yeah. now at this point. Well, and I mean, the thing is you can't do that in an off season. It's not a one season yeah. turnaround from being you know, a top five pick to you're actually contending for a world series, making a postseason is different, but actually contending to make it to the end. You're not doing that in a year. So it's not like no, they can just a- tank and just, Oh, we'll spend the money next year. Right. No, it doesn't totally make sense. So, and you can't outspend anybody in international or really in the draft anymore. And, I mean, even with player development, I mean, yeah, you can, you know, do things, you know, much better than everybody else, but it's not like that's going to cost you $50 million. You know, if you really want a competitive advantage, spend money on the major league team. So, I mean, we'll see. Maybe somebody will be desperate by, you never know in July, there might be teams that just, especially the way starting, you know, how many teams don't develop starting pitchers anymore? anyways but there are still teams out there who like to rely on them especially in the playoffs you want to generally have guys who could potentially you know go a few more innings uh in those high leverage spots and be good even if it's only two times through the order and not three or four like we used to see with starters that's still a skill that you're not getting from your really your bullpen guys let me tell you i've got a really highly paid left-handed pitcher who did really well out of the bullpen in high pressure situations in the playoffs would you like him i will say he he is he at least actually does have the track record of throwing a lot of innings and not getting hurt so if he has a good first half you could at least be like here's a pitcher who's not going to break down just like Gio Gonzalez. <laughs> well, he throws like it's, 200 innings a year, whereas Gio I mean, honestly, 65 a year and 33 starts. It would, it, it's a more expensive contract, but it would be if like Gio Gonzalez in 2018, where his last like three years were so all over the place. It's like, no, I'm not giving you anything for that. I'm, I'm pretty sure this is going to stink. Now, granted, I think they also traded Gio in August of 2018 because they, they refused to that was a great off uh, trade deadline where they both refused to trade anybody because they thought they were in it, but also didn't trade for anybody because I didn't think they were that in it. Which is just like the one thing they did was get rid of two of their good relievers so that they didn't have enough of a bullpen. That was a really smart off season. Good thing they won in twenty nineteen. <laughs> oh, so yeah, so that that's what I'm saying with Patrick Corbin is. I don't 
I mean, it'll be better for people watching him to not have to watch another 30 starts of six ERA pitching. So I guess that'll be the one positive. But in terms of team building, I don't know how much him bouncing back really helps unless, you know, because I, I don't think the Nats will really find it reliable and be like, oh, well, we can move up our timeline for 2023 because we have Corbin now. Uh, it'll be hard to get him to trade unless they're going to eat the salary. So it, it's, it's going to be funny. It's just completely wasted. You know, if he has a great season, <laughs> like, well, good job, I guess. Thanks. He, he can be our one or our second all-star, I guess. Maybe we'll get to Yeah, him. there you go. Yeah, he's going to make like two good starts and Rizzo better be working that goddamn phone. <laughs> hey, did you see this? Mike, it's April 12th. Shut the fuck up. Give me a minute. Um, I could send him Steve, to Anaheim. I know you have all the money in the world. Steve, come on. You, your pictures are dropping like flies. This guy's from New York. That's true. Maybe we can get Anaheim to Angels. Uh, he'll fit in politically. Uh, they need pitching. So It's true. But they're not smart win-win. enough to trade for pr- pitching, although they are dumb enough to trade for this pitching. That's true. Well, we'll take if uh, what is it, Joe Adele still struggling. And they don't want him anymore. We can take that, put him in left field, and see if we can get him to fix. You know, they I think that'd be a fair they trade. They have a big contract out there um, at a place where we currently have a hole where he hasn't performed real well since he's been in LA because he's been hurt a lot. Yeah, what if we just want to take on even more money. <laughs> yeah, but I'd put my money on Rendon more than I put my money on Patrick Corbin bouncing back. <laughs> to be yeah, Rendon, I'll take. Rendon, I'll pay Rendon $35 million a year for 40 games over having to watch 30 more starts of Patrick Corbin. That Yeah. Well, that's 30 more starts of Patrick Corbin plus like 30 to 60 more starts of Carter Keyboom. That's yeah, a fair point. That's so true. now it's really tipping the scale. <laughs> I, mean, it's just, it'd be, it would, I would like it because he'd have like you between him and Strasburg, you'd very frequently have $70 million in contracts just on the IL. <laughs> there you go. That would be a fun deal, though. Oh, Corbin for Rendon. Yikes. So, speaking of trying to improve the team, I went and I was like, man, why hasn't anybody signed Michael Conforto yet? And I go and look at the actual penalties that you have. Mm-hmm. Why would anyone agree to those? Outside of like, if you're like a top five team that's going and getting somebody and it's like, okay, fuck a draft pick. What do I care? But like, if you're a rebuilding team, like you have no incentive to go and sign those guys. No, I'm kind of surprised he declined it. Uh, I guess he figured it's just better for him to wait and sign in May. I mean, that's what Mike Moustakas did like three years in a row, just signed in May. Uh, I think Stephen Drew also did that. It's also funny, though, that if they do end up implementing the international draft this summer, which then gets rid of the qualifying offer uh, compensation like this, uh, Conforto could be the last player to be forced to wait until uh, later in the season to sign. Well, I'm curious. They've got to wait till the draft, right? Which is July. I'm trying to remember that. Yeah, it's later this year. Is it that they had to wait... uh, Wait till the draft, or was it like a certain number of weeks? Now I can't remember. No, I think it was I the draft. It wasn't until the draft. Okay. So that would suck yes. for him. 
So yeah, I mean, I I don't know what what he's going to do. I mean, he's got to go back to the Mets at that point. It's kind of surprising he hasn't, but I mean, I think that also happened to Mustaka. That happened to somebody who somebody waited. They denied the qualifying offer, became a free agent, then realized nobody wanted to sign him, and that it would take so he'd have to wait so long that he went back to the same team for less amount of money <laughs> than the qualifying offer was just so that he could get it off of him the next year. And I think that might've been part of the agreement is that they weren't going to, they wouldn't give him a qualifying offer again, but we're also going to pay him less money this year. <laughs> so I don't think, I don't think anybody's looking it up. Can you get like a qualifying that, offer multiple Steven times? Drew? You can't anymore, so. but you used to. Uh, be able to. Okay. Yeah, you used to be able to. It was only if you were traded, you could be qualifying offered by whoever traded for gotcha. you. Gotcha. That was the new rule that was introduced for the last CBA. Because um, that was something the Nats used to do. Uh, oh. they, they like famously traded for guys like uh, Johnny Gomes just because they were going to get a competitive balance pick out of it. So gotcha. back when teams didn't lose it. So then when they changed it, the teams, the signing team also lost a draft pick. It wasn't just random free draft picks. They reduced that, you know, if you trade for somebody, you can't then. So like Scherzer didn't get a qualifying offer this year since he was traded for and then became a free agent. So. All right. Um. Oh, I almost forgot about the thing that I sent earlier. Where did that go? Uh, did you guys take a look at this thing that I sent over? That MLB is uh, going to start using wearable pitch calling devices? Yeah, let's call it PitchCom, something like that. Uh, yes. The PitchCom pitch system com. made by ProMystic. Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. Uh, it's also interesting cause it's like one of those, like it's supposed to be like a bone vibrating sp- speaker. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a headset, like you normally have. It's like one that's like supposed to like, like vibrates your inner ear and then you hear it as if there's an auditory, there's a sound outside, even though there's not just fun science. <laughs> um, yeah, they've been testing it out in spring training. I'd read an article in the athletic, I think it was the Phillies. Somebody was using it where like one pitcher was using it and they said that you could definitely tell when he was in and when he was out, the pace of play like was drastically different. So it was just much faster because the guy just hit the button. Um, you know, it makes sense if it's you know not too hard for the catcher to learn, uh, which it sounded like, you know, then you can just hear the pitch. Uh, they also make it that it's in different languages. So if you speak English, you hear fastball. If you speak Spanish, you hear whatever fastball is in Spanish. Uh, I assume they could program it to other languages as well, like Japanese, um, which will allow you to in, you know, improve the communication. Uh, sadly, you wouldn't get those fun random mound visits like uh, Shohei Otani had sometimes where the catcher would come out to talk to him and his translator would have to run out <laughs> from the dugout uh, so that they could talk and you know, figure, change the signs with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would make it a lot easier to prevent things like the a the Astros and uh, things like that, cause, you know, and just regular sign stealing in general because you wouldn't really need those signs. 
Uh, it's also nice because the speakers could be worn by anybody in the field. So you, I think it could be anybody. I don't know if they had a specific rule, but they, you know, they technically could be worn by anybody. Technologically, there's no limit there. They might have some limits on which positions are allowed, but I've seen already like second base, shortstop, center field could be wearing them as well and help with defensive alignment uh, and stolen bases and things like that. Uh, knowing you know who who should come in and cover the bag on at second, you know, based on what the pitch is going to be and where it's going, uh, it's apparently can get really sophisticated if you want to with the number of buttons where like you can hit a bunch of buttons so it says like fastball up in or down away or yeah I'm I'm know. looking at the device it's got four eight nine twelve buttons on it total yeah. So it does sound like that, you know, it does get a little more complicated uh, if you want to try to get those more, you know, specific instructions. So I think the article I was reading, the catcher was mostly just using, you know, the single button that just said fastball, curveball, slider or whatever, and then was using, you know, hand gestures for the other parts of it, like where I want the ball to go and getting set up and all that. Uh, But it would be kind of interesting to see you know, cause you could, there is a lot of gamesmanship you could do there where you set up as a catcher, like on the outside corner and then you punch in like, you know, curveball inside low, you know, down and in or something like that. And then at the last second you move over to get the ball over there instead. That'd um, be fun. So yeah, it, it's really just the, the big question is just if it's annoying to the pitcher or the catcher to have that in their helmet, uh, you know, that's something we also saw back well, like eight years ago when we had a Brandon McCarthy and like, there was one other pitcher who both got hit in the head uh, very close together. And they came up with those bigger hat, like padded hats mm-hmm. for pitchers to wear. And I think maybe only one or two players ever wore them. I think even like guys like Brandon McCarthy who had gotten hit did not wear it because uh, they just found it because it's just big and bulky and weighty that it was throwing them off when they were pitching that they didn't like it. This would obviously be, you know, a lot lighter, but could still be something where some pitchers it's just a placebo effect. Uh, you could definitely, I could definitely see somebody like Max Scherzer who would just feel it, you know, princess in the peace style. You just feel it a little bit and just be like, Oh, I'm all off. I don't like it. <laughs> it's uh, give me the sign. It's, what it's is interesting. This? They have some quotes here. Um, from a couple of players. So they have like Mike Zanino, Zach Grinke. Um, but the one that I thought was interesting was somebody that you would think would be against it is Tony La Russa is here saying that he's very much in favor, thinks it speeds the game up, hope they make it official, um, that their experience on the White Sox has been a good one with it. Um, I'm just surprised in general that it kind of came about so quickly and without really a lot of fanfare. Um, granted, it's not, you know, they don't have to use it. It's optional, but um, that's, that's kind of a huge change to be making. And one, that's a positive one. I think um, just to get some of this, if we can get to the point where we're no longer, you know, throwing at people because we think that they're stealing signs or any of that dumb bullshit. Like if we can get that out of the way, that'd be great. Yeah, it definitely speed up the game. Uh, you know, it, when you don't have to stop every time somebody gets on second base uh, to go go over the signs, or you don't have to do 
like the Nats were doing in the World Series against the Astros when they were pretty sure they were stealing signs where they had, you know, absurd combinations. So you have to every time you throw you do the sequence for one pitch, it's like eight different signals <laughs> that the pitcher has to interpret. And then sometimes they don't, you know, they lost where they were supposed what one was the one they were supposed to pick and ask them to do it again. And that's a lot of added time. Uh, you know, anywhere you can kind of reduce that, you just hit a button and it just says what you do. And then we not, we all nod. It's like, okay, let's keep going. Uh, the funny thing will be in the future, which team, uh, is, if it's the Astros or the Rays, is the first one to be caught uh, with packet capture data. That's uh, basically, since it is wirelessly transmitted, that those are waves that would be able to get captured by the team in the dugout. Uh, and you would know, uh, since you have those devices, you would be able to give it to somebody to reverse engineer and figure out what the data signal is for each different pitch that's then told. And then you could just capture the other team's signs that way uh, and then signal it back out to your hitter. Uh, so I cannot wait. Um, it's a lot harder and it's a lot easier to show that it's 100% illegal and you should know it's yeah, because not only would it be against the rules of baseball, I think also capturing data packets in that way and decoding them could also be seen as a federal crime of hacking. So, uh, you know, like the guy back in the, the, was like, the Cardinals guy, right? Yeah, the Cardinals guy. Yeah. It was 2014 where the Cardinals guy accessed the Astros database because Lundell used to work for the Cardinals. Um he could that he got brought up on federal hacking charges. I'm excited for whoever the first team employee gets arrested for hacking the pitch comm signals. I mean, we haven't had that issue yet team in, in football, have we? Not that we know of. Fair. <laughs> Not that we know of. Not that's ever been publicly released. But I mean, you would think that's something Bill Belichick has definitely worked on, considering all the <laughs> other ways he's tried to steal signals from other teams. Um, I really want to be a fly on the wall, though, of that meeting of him trying to describe what he wants them to do. I want you to steal the way. What if we just went out there and the internet. grabbed them? Just like. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing is, I think in the NFL, those communications are like controlled by the NFL. Mm -hmm. Like they, they don't, the teams don't have them physically present. They just like bring it in on the day, uh, you know, for each game and they set you up. And I, I know there was like one game for Washington where they got turned off because you know, one, I think Washington's wasn't working. And so the other team, they turned their, turned their, uh, communications off as well. Uh, I assume the NFL could have ways of monitoring, uh, you know, if people were trying to listen in, although there's only so much that you could really, you know, know if somebody's just listening passively, it's not really easy to figure out that your signal's being caught. So, uh, it, it's totally possible. People, you know, it's already happened in the NFL and people don't know about it. So. Okay. Well, interesting. I'm curious to see if, uh, any of the nationals pitchers, pick it up and kind of what their thoughts are. Yeah. I do assume Sean Doolittle would do something like that. He's a nerd that yep. way. Yeah. Well, and he's one that you could see kind of being an evangelist for it of, no, nah, right. this is pretty great. You can't really tell it's there. Like, you know, 
He's probably already built himself like four prototypes at home. I mean, he built himself yeah. a droid. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, uh, the big thing, though, is that it's not just that the pitcher has to pick it up. The catcher also has to want to True. use it. Yeah. So, you know, especially because it requires more memorization on their part of knowing to hit the right button in, you know, which one's the cancel button if you hit the wrong button and all those kinds of things. So. Might the Nats might not be adapting. You don't know exactly. K Bear Ruiz is having two kind of rookie ish, but not actual rookie catchers in K Bear and Riley Adams. They not, might not be quite ready. They might be trying to focus on other parts of the game first. And then, you know, once they're more comfortable, could try to pick it up. Baptism by fire. So, yeah, the nice thing would be really if they, they start putting it in the minor leagues uh, and then all these guys can get used to it before they come up and. Which, you know, like a lot of these other rule changes, they were using it somewhere. It said, uh, the, ch- 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 the California League is where it was okay. used, but yeah, yeah, that also makes it easier. Uh, if you mandate it for younger people and give them an opportunity to use it before they get to the majors, they're already comfortable with it, then makes it easier to adapt. Well, and then it becomes one of those grandfathering things of like, you know, everybody after a certain date, when they come up, they're pretty much going to use it. And then you can mandate it at the major league level and just say, no, this is what we're doing from now on. Makes it a little right. easier to do. All right. So let's get down to the main event. Predictions. We're going to do the NL East standings, and then we are going to do the NL Rookie of the Year, MVP, and Cy Young. So who wants to go first? Who's looking at at MLB prediction websites right now? (laughs) I'll go first. I was prepping for this last week, and then I forgot who I chose. I forgot who you chose. You go look That's, it up again. Yep. All right, so I'll go first. Uh, so we're doing NL East. Are we just doing order? We're not doing like record. Or yeah, anything? we'll just do the order. I don't okay. want to do math right now. Um, <laughs> I am gonna say probably Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, and then Miami. So. I mean, I, I think Atlanta, they're, they're a little bit more balanced all around. Um, you know, switching out Freddie Freeman for Matt Olson is pretty shitty from a, a fan perspective. And, you know, getting to celebrate your World Series title with, you know, the guys that brought you there and getting to see fan favorites. But in terms of a you know, play on the field perspective, they're pretty much equivalent. I think Matt Olson might be like a half step back offensively from Freddie Freeman, but not much. Uh They'll have Acuna Jr. back sooner than later. Uh, they have other good guys on the position. You know, Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies. Uh, it should be enough to carry them offensively. They're the only ones that seem to have you know, remembered that there are bullpens in the NL East. Uh, so they have all of the relievers, where every other team has no relievers. So I think that'll work out well for them. Uh, you know, Mets... Second, they, they have the star power. They have the, the amount of money that they've spent. But we talk, I mean, we talked about this last time is 
they spent so much money, but then you really look at the roster and it, it's, you could say it's barely better than what they had last year. Uh, and they did not make the playoffs last year. So I think it'll be close again this year. I think with the expanded playoffs, they'll probably be able to sneak in there. Um, and then the Phillies are the angels of the East. So no matter how much better you might think they look this year, they will still miss the playoffs and still be right around 79, 80 wins. Uh, and I think the Nats will have a very brief run in April. It'll be kind of a reverse of the previous few years where they had those bad starts and then uh, for a second looked like they might be- get better and then didn't. Uh, I think we'll be back to they'll have a winning record in April. People will get all excited about the veterans and then they'll just revert to the mean uh, and will not be that great. Uh, but we'll get just above 70 wins. And then the Marlins are the Marlins. I'm not expecting much from them. Despite a couple of young, cool young guys, uh, they don't really have enough firepower to be competing for anything. Okay, Sean? So I actually put a bet on this order. I have uh, Braves, Phillies, Mets, Marlins, Nats. For the reason, the Braves first, for the same reason as James, I think that Honestly, I think that they're a lot better than anybody else in the division. Uh, The Phillies are second, not because I think the Phillies are good, but more because I think that the Mets are going to Mets, which they're already starting to Mets. Um, But, I mean, when you build your entire roster around old guys, I mean, old guys can be good, but old guys break a lot. Uh, There's a lot of question marks throughout the roster, you know, even, you know, the projections, how they're projected now is assuming, you know, Lindor bounces back, you know, Escobar and uh, Kanha like continue to be, you know, almost two win players. You know, Brandon Nimmo st- stays alive, doesn't eat any more uh, chicken sashimi. So, I mean, I just, I think that this is a, uh, that they'll bust out this year. They'll, they'll probably be fine next year. You know, Steve Cohen will find another way to spend, you know, $600 jillion and, you know, buy himself another super team. But this year I think is going to be a, a learning experience for him uh, and to, you know, don't do the Dan Snyder method the right when you join the league. Of course, if you're going to do a Dan Snyder method, spending money is the good one to do better than any other. We'll catch that then. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to add on to your point about uh, Cohen. It's just the big question for him this year and for the Mets will be if he's willing to add more in terms of that salary. That's something we saw with the Nats had trouble early on when the learners first started kind of being like, all right, we'll spend money we'll start paying out for free agents and contracts and trades for guys and give them bigger, you know, signings and get a better team that way. Uh, They would do that. And then they would get to the trade deadline and be like, okay, we have these two holes. If we want a good team, we need to fill these with good players. And like, well, I don't want to spend more money. I've spent enough. You know, I spent the money I did to have a good team. This team should be good. Just make it, you know, let them be good. And it's like, well, no, they need, we need these two things to be good. It's like, oh, I don't want to spend more. And then, you know, early on Nats teams, they had a lot of trouble. Uh, later, they did do better in terms of kind of bringing in you know, more guys at the deadline uh, to help out. Um, but, you know, we already saw a little bit of that with Cohen. There's already been articles about, you know, do, does he really want to go even higher over 
I don't think they're, they might not even be over 300 million yet. It's just like, you know, do they want to go over 300 million? And if they do, how much higher? Uh, you know, and that's kind of the issue when you give Max Scherzer a $40 million per year contract, you're going to have a high payroll, but not actually that much. Um, you know, and with the injuries they're seeing with DeGrom's, not even, you know, the earliest they think is probably June for DeGrom. You know, it could get late early for them and they're going to have to be able to make those deals. And I think, I think Sean's probably right that they're not going to do that this year. Uh, and then he'll, Cohen will probably learn uh, that he needs to, you know, try again and spend a little bit more of his jillion dollars to build a good team. Uh, according to Sport Track, they're at 271. So, yeah. grain of salt, but at least in the ballpark. A lot of dollars. And the other side of that, too, is like, I don't even know if there's really that many like big names that, you know, if, if they're like one piece away, then I'm sure that, you know, he'll definitely open the checkbook for that. But if they're like kind of treading water and need somebody to make an impact, if they need like somebody to be that cesspitous, like in 2015, like mm-hmm. he might just cut his losses on this season, try again next year. Right. Maybe. We'll yeah, last year they did like the Javi Baez trade. Yeah. You know, they went mm-hmm. pretty big. Uh, it didn't quite work out because he decided to flip off the fans for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I liked it. Uh, yeah. I liked it. doesn't like the Mets. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting, you know, so, but that was also because he hadn't, he had just bought the team in the December. He had, they didn't spend that much that off season. So it's easier to justify. It'll be interesting to see, cause that'll kind of probably be the level of move they need to do again to really shore themselves up and, and get to a playoff spot. And it'll be interesting to see whether he'll be willing to do that or not. Uh, and Sean, quick follow up on yours. Uh, Philly coming second in the division. Are they making the playoffs in that spot? Remember, there's 12 playoff teams now. 12 National League playoff teams now? Yes. <laughs> 12 National League playoff Congrats, we all made it. Only so, three teams don't make the playoffs. Somehow the Nats would be one of them. So, so there's, there's three wild cards now? Yeah. I'll say that they do not. I'll say that the no, I'll say that they do. Never mind. The central is horrible. So I think that the Padres and Giants will both make it as wild cards, but then I guess second in the East is going to have to do it unless both the Brewers and the Cardinals both decide to win 85 games, which I don't think both of them will. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go with the same order as O'Hara. Um, I'm going to go with the, the Braves, the Mets. Um, <clears throat> the Phillies, the Nats, and then the Marlins. I don't think there is much difference between the Nats and the Marlins. I don't think it's going to be particularly many games. Um, Over, under on the Mets wins this year, 87. I would say just barely under. Yeah, I would guess like 84, 85-ish. Yeah, I, w- I would also have 80, 84 to 86. Okay. The difference just is I think the Phillies will be a lower win total than that. All right. Um, so let's do rookie of the year. Hey, this is also noteworthy. I think this is the first time we've done predictions and nobody's had the Nats either first or second. Uh, I think we almost always have them first or second. So 
this is really just it's funny that this is really the first season even including 2020 and 2021 where they weren't that good uh where there's just no expectation for them to be good whatsoever yeah i'll have to go back and see if we did predictions for 2012 when like we first started uh i'll be curious if we have the nets on top or if we have them as a wild card that would be you and matt and dave Uh making predictions wouldn't even be sean and me no sean was a was a guest co-star with chad cordero (laughs) nice equally (laughs) famous people yep two guys sorry now we're the same person (laughs) there you go perfect all right nl rookie of the year who you guys got uh saya suzuki uh i think if you can for rookie of the year anytime you can bet on an older japanese guy you should do that because they almost always win okay sean I think that Suzuki is the leader in the clubhouse. He's who I would go with, uh, but I will throw out another name that could give him a run for his money. Um, I'll still pick Suzuki, but Bryson Stott looks like he's going to start with the Phillies and can kind of do a little bit of Phillies prospect. That's like picking a Mariners prospect to do well. Yeah, but yeah, apparently I'm a big Philly guy over here today. So, uh, so I'll, I'll bring him up, but I don't, I'll, I'll still go. No, I did see that. I was like looking at like, oh, who are the top choices? And that, I think he was listed second. And it was just like, the hell I'm ever picking a prospect from the Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> if, I don't think that it's going to be a zero success. No, I think he'll, he'll eventually potentially be fine, but I think he's going to have some growing pains when he comes up. I, it only could be O'Neill Cruz if people are just so shocked by a six-seven shortstop they just push his, they vote for him without actually looking at what he did. All right, so I'm going to go see Suzuki as well. So that was boring. Uh, Sean gave us his number two. James, do you have a a dark horse? Dark horse, Kid uh, Cavalli. Okay, the darkest horse. I of was going to go with Cabert Ruiz. So here we go. He's not eligible. Really, That's why I didn't pick him. No, yep. I think that I think that he is, and I forget why. Did they go back? I thought they ruled. I thought the last I saw, the MLB had specifically ruled that he was not eligible, even though oh, a couple okay. of uh, betting websites still had him listed for a little while. Okay, never mind. But yeah, he's, like, he's no longer eligible. Yeah, you're right. It's because I saw it a week ago, and they confirmed it like a couple of days ago. Yeah. There was something weird. Yeah, and I don't know if Riley Adams is either. Um, so. Yeah, because it, it had to do with the September call-ups during the 2020 year. Um, yeah. Something so like prior to 2020, days in September didn't count for rookie of the year. And now mm-hmm. they do. So now he had right. 64 so days. To, okay. Which is enough to put him over the top. So Ruiz is not eligible. Yeah, it's going to be weird because there's not that many of the top teams really bringing up, you know, hot prospects. You know, the Mets, Atlanta, I don't think any of them have any, or, you know, the Dodgers, I don't think any of them have any big prospects. I think the Giants might have a couple prospects coming up this year, but I have no idea who they are. So, but the ale ones are stacked. The ale is going to be amazing yeah, for yeah. the year because you got like uh, Bobby Witt, 
Julio. Torkelson. Uh, Tork. Yeah, and then Riley Green, if he comes back from his injury, could be up there. And then uh, Rushman, too. Um, I feel like there's still like two or three more that are probably better than anybody but Suzuki in the NL and maybe even better than him. I mean, in terms of like, you know, sort of ceiling, like like 2022 ceiling, not like career ceiling. Right. Well, uh, throw it out, Jonah Don. <laughs> You're throwing him out already? Throwing him out as a candidate. Also. Yeah, here, Joan. Also, what horse. nonsense! Mike Trout played for half a year and was garbage, and then won Rookie of the Year next year. That's <laughs> true. It was pretty bullshit. All right, um, Cy Young. This is so much harder. You can't just name somebody on the Nats anymore. <laughs> um. I mean, almost certainly not Jacob Degrom, since he's not Scherzer. going to start until June. Well, and uh, does baseball have this problem that the NBA has, where like two guys on the same team can't win an award because obviously, like, they're both good? They take votes away from each other. No, I think somebody from the Dodgers won something. Boy, it was like two. I, I think it's happened before. I and mean, the Nats had that in 2017. They well, none of them won though. No, the Scherzer are weird. <laughs> I can't remember if that was a DeGrom year or a Scherzer year. No, because Scherzer won back-to-back, right? So he won 2015, 2016? I so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. So who was the 2017 NL Cy Young? We'll look Patrick up that. Corbin. That would be... Oh, no, it was Cy Young. Yeah, it was Scherzer. Scherzer won, and then Gio and Strasburg were both top five mm. that year. So in 2017. So it can definitely happen. You can have teammates, uh, both be really good and you'll get attention. So Scherzer could win it. I just don't think based on his last couple of years, I don't think he's all, you know, even if he does start the season, I don't think he's going to be able to get to enough starts to really, it's going to be like last year where he misses just enough time that his numbers aren't quite impressive enough. On the raw end, I'm going to go with uh, Corbin Burns. He's not injured, right? Mm-mm. No, he's one of the few. He's one. Of, I was trying to remember. Uh, Wheeler's hurt. Yeah, I was going to go with either him or Bueller, so I'll go with Bueller just to keep it interesting. Yeah, I'd probably go with Bueller. Um, I'm with you on Scherzer. Not only is he. he Definitely going to miss some time at some point during the year. Over the last few years, it has tended to be towards the end of the season when you have all of that recency bias stuff in his ways. So if you're hurt in mid to late August through mid-September, you're screwed. So yeah, let's go with Walker Bueller there. All right, last one. MVP. Uh, One Soto. Hey, you can name somebody. The one good thing for the Nats. I mean, our only other MVP came in a real shitty year. So, yes, let's go for it. And Bryce I think Harper's that, made that a habit. Now he has two MVPs, and both of them not on yep. playoff teams. Um, so and he could do it again. Harper's been really hot this spring. Uh, it will be funny. I assume there might be some fatigue at some point for. 
keep giving him MVPs if his team doesn't make the playoffs. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. Soto, I think, is probably has enough of the hype now at the start of the season that if he stays good, it's just gonna it's gonna kind of build. Um, so I think he has a pretty good shot this year. Yeah, I'd say, and especially because like Tatis is uh, Tatis and Acuna are two of his biggest uh, opponents in the MVP race too, and they're going to miss enough time to start the year that they're already probably out of it. Uh, Trey Turner, I think if he's healthy, he I would bet on him to win yeah. it, but I would not bet on him to stay healthy for a whole year. He's guaranteed um, to have a freak injury that puts him on the IL for. Six to eight weeks. Six, three weeks. <laughs> right. Five weeks. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, so other, the other question with Trey Turner, though, is you know if he's able to just keep hitting the way he has been the last year and a half. You know, he hit the short 2020 year and then, you know, shockingly followed it up in 2021 with another great year. Uh, he's also at the end of his contract, though. When we've seen guys like that to struggle a bit with the weight, the expectation. So, uh, and, you know, he's getting older. So, uh, will be remains to be seen whether he can keep it up still. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Too. Nobody is nobody else is an overwhelming name here. Again, you have Harper. If he does like he did last year, it'll at least be a race. Um, but yeah, Sean, I think you're right. Acuna is going to miss what yeah. another six to eight weeks before he sees the field again. I think he's expected potentially by the end of April, um, but he. I think he's going to DH for a while, and then he can't field until, you know, probably midway, mid May. But he'll be up long enough, I think, that if he stays healthy the whole season, he might be able to have a chance. But that's a big if, and that's assuming he comes back on time and at yeah. full strength. Yeah. No, the the only other question I mean, we've seen recently, you know, like we're talking about with Harper, but other players as well, have been able to win MVP without being on playoff teams, uh, it hasn't, it's kind of been pretty decoupled at this point, but it might be something we see with the expanded playoffs. Now, so many teams, you know, six out of 15 teams in the league will be making the playoffs, whether that'll kind of make people rethink that idea and be like, well, if you couldn't even get third wild card, you know, you were, you really, you know, were you, how valuable were you really? So, yeah, that and might. So it just has to print out the the Nats uh, projected uh, depth chart thing where it's like yeah. 29, 29, 30, 30, 30. If the, if the Nats are truly miserable, miserable, that might be enough. You know, people might let not let that one go and hold it against Soto too. No, much. what he needs to do is print out the depth chart, but also insert in some fake names and see if anyone can tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah, like some some fake name like Ira. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's going to do it for us this evening. Uh, we will be back next week to talk about actual baseball. Uh, we'll have and to celebrate the Nats sweeping the Mets. You heard it here first. Uh, yeah. So we'll have a, an entire series to talk about uh, and see most of our rotation that we're going to be dealing with until – Strauss and Joe Ross decide to make an appearance. But until then, until next week, we are ghosts. <laughs>